All right, good evening, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to Ephesians 5, that's where we'll be tonight. Ephesians 5. We'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight and our time we get to spend in it. It's about middle of the week here. We've had, um, some of us had great weeks. Some of us have had more difficult weeks, but we're here to get refreshed because uh, times of refreshing come from being in your presence. And we just pray that you do that tonight. Refresh us. Lord, there's some wonderful, solid stuff, doable things in this chapter. And I just pray that by your spirit, you'd help us to remember and learn how to apply and, uh, just continue on with you, to, to walk with you, as that's what Paul tries to get across in these two chapters, 4 and 5, to walk with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. He begins in verse 1 with, therefore. So the first uh, thing we have to do is go back to chapter 4 a little bit. What's he talking about? How to walk in the new man, not the old man. A lot of things are said about Christianity, but one of them has to be true and always true is that he came to change us, to make us different, to save us from what we were, and to make us into somebody who we weren't or we've grown away from. Um, I notice in my own life, and maybe you've noticed it as well in your walk with the Lord since you've been saved, that there are seasons of rapid growth, and then there are some slow seasons, and then there's some plateaus, and then you snap out of it and you grow a little bit more. And that's, I think, normal. Um, I think these chapters here, when we get into some very detailed, specific items that God expects of us as Christians, it does tend to snap us out of any um, apathy that we may have in our growth, in our walk with the Lord. And so it's a strong chapter. Chapter 5 is a very strong chapter, especially, um, well, Let's put it this way. Satan wants to move away from what God wants in our lives. And as we get closer to the soon return of Jesus, he's going to become more adamant about changing our opinions or the way we look to look as little, to look less like God, as little like God as possible in our society, in our churches, in our school systems, in our parenting, in our kids. He's trying to corrupt it completely. And as time approaches for Christ to come, he gets very active and, and speeds up the process. And I don't know if you've noticed recently, but that process seems to have been sped up quite a bit in our culture and in this world. We've had some major events take place worldwide that have moved us more quickly into the direction that Satan wants us to go and further away from God. Now, the, 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 the bright side of that, if there is one, is that it is a divisive thing when Satan doesn't uh, woo and coax and go slow. When he pushes and shoves and tries to force, it does cause a little bit of a division. And the good side of that is some people tend to move closer to God, like, wait, 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 you know, this is too much. I've, I feel like I'm being pressured here all of a sudden, whereas um, before then, for decades, he'd take decades to move us in a direction. But now he's taking just moments or months is all to move us in the next direction. So as we go through chapter 5 and we read it, Compared to, I mean, if anybody from the world showed up at church tonight and read what we're about to read here in chapter 5, they would think we're the most Victorian, archaic group of people and say, Can, I can't believe you still believe that stuff. I can't believe you haven't grown out of that. I can't believe you haven't evolved out of that. And so, with that being said, it's a, it's a, it's a strong cup of coffee if you're not aware of that, if this is new to you tonight, if this is something that maybe you haven't thought about in a while, it may be a strong cup of coffee for you. 
Um, but know this, um, it's accurate, it's correct, it's right, it's God's word, it's truth. It's absolutely truth, no matter what. We've talked about that math equation last week a little bit. And here's, here's, here, I'll start off with this, and then we'll get right into the chapter, I promise. But we, we know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. We've gone over that frequently here. We've really got that equation down. And there is a group in this world that would say 2 plus 3 is 4. And we would say no, and we try to correct them with the truth. 2 plus 2 is 4. And they would argue back, no, 2 plus 3 is 4. And we can see the exchange getting heated. And from our perspective, knowing the truth, it's unbelievable to us that this is getting heated and it's just not a received correction. But from their perspective, their next step is to tell me that they're feeling bad because I'm not accepting their truth, even though it's false. It makes no difference whether they're right or wrong, what you believe or what's right. You know, it's the fact that two plus three in my mind equals four, and you're making me feel bad, and now that becomes the crime. Has nothing to do with the equation anymore, has nothing to do with finding out what's true. It has everything to do with making everybody feel okay. And then the church follows suit, and I just want people to be loved. So two plus three is four. We love you. That's not love. That's foolishness. It's not loving because you're not sharing the truth with them. We have to be willing to do that. And so as we go through this chapter 5, I think you'll find a lot of application in today's day. Verse 1, Therefore, because I want you to walk in the new man, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. A few weeks ago, I said not to be imitators. That there's a difference between being an imitator and being a Christian. To actually knowing God is a difference. And so some would say, well, you just contradicted. That's, that's not true. We're still not to just imitate, mimic Christ. What he's saying here is when you're trying to be like God, like children of God, This is what he looks like, therefore this is what you're supposed to look like. You're supposed to feel this, you're supposed to know this, you're supposed to say this, you're supposed to believe this. Not just mimic, not just parrot. You're supposed to do this, and feel this, and know this, and here's what it is. I want you to love, to walk in love, and here's what that looks like, just like Christ loved us. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder, well, what does it mean to be a loving Christian? Oh boy. That'll open up a whole can, won't it? He tells us. We don't have to guess. What does he mean to be to walk in love like Christ loved us, gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma? There's two things taking place here. First of all, our love for people needs to be a sacrificial love. We're called to that. That means just like Christ was crucified and the people whom he loved were the ones nailing him to the cross, we also must follow suit and feel that we can do that. We're called to that. There is no other way to love other people. It's not plan B. It's not something that we can debate. It's not something that we can think about and muse over and say, well, I don't know. Let me get there. No, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love people in this kind of way, a sacrificial love. 
And it makes no difference whether they love us back or not, because we're to love like Christ loved us. Whether anybody loved Christ or not, he was going to do what he does because that's who he is. Likewise, as Christians, we do what we do because that's who we are, not because there's some sort of reward on the other end of it. You as husbands need to be godly husbands regardless of whether your wife appreciates you being a godly husband because a godly husband is who you are. You have to be who you are. You must be a godly wife because that's who you are in Christ regardless of whether your husband appreciates it. We don't do it for the reward. Now here's the thing. When Christ died on the cross and we talk about how we do it sacrificially, agape, all the terms we use, makes no difference whether we get anything back or not. I understand that. There was a reward though, wasn't there? Christ saved a whole bunch of people. It may not have been nearly as many as he had hoped. He doesn't desire any of the wicked to perish. He loved the world, but he got a lot of people to love him back. And as Christians, that's what we're here to do. I cannot get everybody to love me, but I am to be a godly man. And some will appreciate that and some won't. Jesus was a godly Savior, a beautiful Savior. And some appreciated that. We're here in the room, hopefully. And some won't. But that doesn't make him quit. I don't just stop being a godly Savior, Jesus says, because I didn't get everybody. No, you got some. There is a reward for it. There is fruit for walking in the walk that we're supposed to walk in love. Just like Christ loved us, we're supposed to love. It's a sacrificial love. It's also an aroma, a sacrifice. The sacrifice is this. People are sinners. We know that. We're sinners. Saved by grace. Christ offering himself up as the lamb that takes away the sin of the world knew that he was going to take on other people's sins and be murdered for it. You see? So with that, we have to understand that our walk is two sinners. It's in love, but it's two sinners. And it's their sin that we're having to deal with It's their sin that's causing us to feel like we're not being appreciated, we're not being loved, we're not being respected. It's toxic, you know. That's a hot button for me. I'm trying to think of all the people in the Scripture if they'd have quit because of the toxic people they were around, which is what we're called to do oftentimes, even in Christian Christianity, Christendom, whatever the term is. Get rid of the toxic. I understand you're not to be trampled over for the sake of trampling, but Jesus was trampled. He was bruised. He was crushed, but not destroyed. Even Paul says, we're beaten. He he understands that. He understands that this is tough. I'm getting stoned. I'm getting beat down. I'm, I'm having all these, I'm being caned, you know, whipped. But he doesn't just do it for the whippings. He's doing it because although he's being whipped, a lot of people got saved because he was who he was and doing what he was supposed to do. There is an offering that we offer up. I'm supposed to go into dark places and be light. He's going to talk about that here in a minute. We're called to that. Okay. There we go. Sorry. Verse 3, here's some of the things we're not supposed to do in our walk. We're supposed to walk in love, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. 
neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. In other words, don't believe people when they tell you that your sins have been cleansed. Christ did not come to cleanse sin. He came to cleanse us from sin. He didn't come to make sin okay, to make who I am without Christ acceptable in God's sight. He came to remove sin from my life. These are empty words. Make no mistake about it, Paul says. The things that you do in the name of Christ that are sin, make no the wrath of God is coming because of that. That's why Christ came to intervene, to get in between God's wrath and my sin and take that wrath upon himself. But make no mistake, the wrath is still there. It, it came. We live in a, a world that is placating people's sin. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. We love you. That's not love. That's two plus three is four. That's a lie. The most loving thing I can do is to sit my son down or my daughter down at the math table and say, look, I don't care what you think two plus three is. It's five. It's always going to be five. No matter how much you cry, it's five. Two plus two is four. Doesn't matter how you feel about it. Doesn't matter if that's how you've always grown up or that's what you've always known in your life. It's wrong. It's the wrong answer. Someone told you the wrong thing. This world is drowning in that kind of nonsense right now. It's everywhere and it's all the time and it's in every aspect of society. And there is only one group of people on this earth that are coming against it, and they're being numbed to their responsibility, and that's us. It is not going to get easier to talk about these things with people. It's going to get harder, and if you can't do it now, I think Wes shared that on Sunday. If we can't go up against the footmen, how in the world are we going to come against the horsemen that are coming later? It is going to be very difficult And I just see the church caving. I see Christians caving. I'm not saying we are. I'm not saying you are. I'm warning you, though. That is the intent, and that is the goal, is for you as a Christian to cave to sin, to allow it, to to somehow get it in our minds that that's not loving to tell people about sin or that that's not loving to tell people the truth. To accept them as they are with no change in the future, I want every sinner to walk through these doors. Make, I, I hope you understand that. But I want them to come in and I want them to be changed like I've been changed. Because that's what Christ came to do. That's his mission. That's what we're called to do. To let them know the kingdom of God is at hand. He says, you have no place in the kingdom of Christ if you do these things. That's a strong statement. And he follows it up with, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Which is exactly what many are doing. I can't do anything about the world. The world is going to believe what they believe. They're going to say what they say. That's what they do. That's not my problem. My problem, our problem is us. It's me. 
as a Christian. I watched a young lady that, well, there's, there's many young people that I'm watching who are following the dictates of their own heart now. And the parents, in the name of love, are letting them. These children have no business running their lives on their own, and yet here they are. And they're making choices and poor choices at that. And the parents, in the name of love, are just saying, I just love my kids. That's not love. Never has been. It wasn't love when they were three years old and drawing crayons on the wall and you let them. That's not acceptable in society. It's not okay. You can't go to a museum and start doing that. So we teach them now in your home. You can't do that. You can't ride on other people's property. That's wrong. You can't take a can of spray paint when you're 16 and say, my mom let me do it when I was three years old in our house. Why can't I do it now? The truth has to start. The teaching has to start and continue. And if there's a time where they're headbutting against you, then headbutt back. Don't, don't quit. Don't acquiesce. Don't give up. Parent all the way. As long as I'm carrying my parents and my kids on my back, they're going to go where I tell them to go. That's how it is. I want them to choose their own path. Nope. When they're 18 or 19, they can choose their own path. That's when they can go their own way. That's up to them. And then they'll still hear about me. I'll still have those judgmental eyes when I look at them. Really? Dad, I'm my own person now. <laughs> no. No, because now that you're not my child, you're still a, who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm going to treat you like just any other believer in Jesus Christ, like I would anybody at church. You're wrong. That's sin. That's not correct. That's against Scripture. That's against God. You're walking away from the faith. That's love. Paul is being loving in chapter 5. Ephesians, I know you don't know how to do this. I'm telling you, I'm giving you a great six chapters. It's going to be so in-depth. This is how you walk with God. This is how the new man is to look. Don't let anybody deceive you and tell you with empty words that this isn't what God wants. He warns us. Verse 8. For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. I hope you read that correctly. Not, and the scriptures do say this in other places, you were in darkness. No, he says you once were darkness. When you went places, you brought more darkness to the room. That's who you were. You brought more darkness. You were a giver of darkness. Now you are not that anymore. Not you are walking in the light. You are the light when you walk into that room. When I walk into my home as a father and as a husband, I have the opportunity to bring light into the room or I bring dark into the room. I am one of those two things. Now, sometimes I toggle. I'll admit that. Sometimes I'm in the flesh. Sometimes I'm in the spirit. Sometimes I bring joy and happiness. Sometimes I bring a cloud. I don't like the cloud. Anybody else, nobody in the room likes the cloud. I recognize it, though. I have that ability. I've been given that. So are you. When I go to work, I am the light. Christ is the light. Don't say you're the light. He says right here, now you are light in the Lord. So if I'm in the Lord, I'm light. It's, it's, it's not a small thing, this chapter, this verse 8. It's not a small thing. 
He is calling the Ephesians to do the difficult thing, the hard thing. It is a lot easier to switch the switch off and blend. That's what Satan wants. Pressure. Pressure causes us to shrink. It can. You have to get to the place where pressure causes you to shine brighter. That's what has to happen. If you become fearful or scared when the world shines its darkness on you or brings darkness into your life and you're afraid to turn the switch on and to be light, you have to work through that. I'm being kind now. God is he's not being so generous here in the text. He's not giving you an option, but I am telling you, I understand as a man, as a human being, it is hard to be light all the time. Sometimes it's just easier. You know what? Have it your way. Because I'm fine over here. It's nice and bright in my little corner of the world. But that's not what he's called us to do. He needs us to spread out. He needs us to shine brightly. He needs us to go to all the dark places. Let Satan have no quarter. He has no foothold. He has no place he can hide. We bring pressure. Mississippi just brought out of their Senate uh, no more transgender surgeries. It's a wonderful move in the right direction. Missouri's just been brought out a committee. We will follow suit more than likely. It's a wonderful thing. Support those guys that are voting for that. That is a very bold, today, that's a very bold thing. That's a very difficult thing. This is, this is, this is how you ruin your life by voting this way in this world. Wonderful. Support them and encourage them. Be light alongside of them. There's nothing better than to have two candles glowing as opposed to just one by themselves. I'm sure that's why Jesus sent them out by twos. A little bit of support. You once were darkness. You're not anymore. You're not allowed to be that anymore. You can't be darkness anymore. You're light in the Lord. Shine. As children of light, parenthetical statement, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's what we're supposed to have. So as children of the light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Not all of us know exactly what we're supposed to do. This might be new for you tonight, you know. I didn't know that was unacceptable. It is. Now you know. You're finding out what's acceptable to God. My walk with the Lord is constantly changing, getting deeper, understanding more. He shows me sometimes. You can kind of been sitting around a little bit spiritually, J. you know. I mean, you do your study time and you do teach every Sunday and Wednesday, but I don't see a lot of things happening in your life, you know. And I learned those things. You know, yes, sir, I'm on it. I'm finding out what's acceptable to God, and sitting around isn't. He called called me when I was doing. That means I don't ever stop doing. If you want to be called or serve in the ministry, you're called while doing, while working, not while sitting around. And spiritually, Sometimes I sit around, I get comfortable. 
And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. It isn't a hard thing to do. You don't have to work at it. You walk around saying, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. You're going to expose a lot of things. You don't have to dig for it. You'll get a few people that say, oh, yeah, me too. And they're excited that there's someone else who's verbalizing what they feel in their heart, but have been too, well, afraid to say it out loud. And now you are. Now they're going to say a little bit, but beware. There's 10 others that don't want you to say that out loud. They like the darkness before you came into the room. We're not to have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Fellowship's a funny word. We're to be in the world, not of the world. We know that, right? Well, that's what this fellowship means. Fellowship means, we talk about that. We have, uh, we have, we continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers, right? Fellowship's one of them. Fellowship is getting along because we have things in common, we talk about the things we're in co- we have in common. We talk about the Lord. We have fellowship in Him, right? He's saying here, I don't want you to have fellowship in the dark things of this world. I shouldn't be saddled up to somebody who's in the dark. We sit and talk about dark things. And we're comfortable because you and me, we just get dark things together, don't we? Whatever that dark thing is. I'm not supposed to have any fellowship with that. At first, shining your light may reduce your friendship pool. It just does. But those friends that left you because you were shining so brightly will know at least where to go when they're done with their darkness. That's the point. Do you love them enough to be light in their life? Do you love them enough? Do you love them enough to lose fellowship with them in darkness only to later hopefully gain fellowship in light with them? That doesn't just go for... Friends, that goes for family too. That's a hard thing. I'm not going to compromise though. God calls us to that. We're here to expose them, not to buddy up to them. It's to be uncomfortable. Sin, sin and sinning is to be uncomfortable around us as Christians. You make me uncomfortable. You make me feel like I'm being judged. That's light. Please hear those words differently now when you hear those throughout the rest of your life. I think you're judging me. No, it's just bright in your life right now, and the darkness that you didn't want exposed is now exposed in my presence because I'm in Christ. That's what's making you uncomfortable. You know who's going to be really uncomfortable is when people think they're going to get to heaven, and they look at him, and he looks at him and says, Depart from me, workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. That's going to be uncomfortable for them. We're here to bring people out of the darkness. And when we shine like we're supposed to, it is, uh, it's effective, but it can get lonely. That's okay. It needs to be. My fellowship needs to be in God. It needs to be in Christ. That needs to be everything to me. It needs to be enough. It needs to be complete. Anything added to that is bonus. We're not talking about something that's new. This isn't radical Christianity. This is normal Christianity. It's normal. Flat out normal. 
We had that, and I've told you this story many times about the ministerial alliance. Now, I couldn't be a part of it because they included a couple cults in town, and I didn't think that was appropriate, believed in different Jesuses, a different gospel, all these things. Well, it's not that. We're just a fellowship of, this is the verse I showed them. We're not to have any fellowship with that darkness. There is no fellowship. They're teaching people a different Jesus, and you're okay with that. That's not okay. Verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine and which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things, to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Paul says, I want you to redeem the time. We don't have time to fritter it away in your drunkenness. I'm not going to get on an alcohol thing tonight. Some people think I just have a, a problem with it. And, and, and I, I do in a sense. I'm, the scriptures are clear, though. Paul says, I, I want you to be busy doing godly things now to to do to be drunk with wine in which is dissipation okay the word there's dissipation maybe we don't use that word very often it's just a waste of time that's a waste of time the glass of wine or the beer or whatever it is that some people use is a self-serving mechanism to cope with things they can't cope with spiritually. That's what it is. Nobody in the room is better because you're having a drink. The only person better in the room is you. you you're, you're self-medicating a little bit. You're taking the edge off. It's like the first anxiety medicine ever developed. And Paul says, I want you to be very sober spiritually. I want you to be wide awake in that room. If you're anxious in that room, why? Is it because it's so dark and so uncomfortable that you don't know how to act or be or you're afraid or whatever? He wants us in the room, completely aware, feeling everything. As painful or as uncomfortable as it may be, he wants us feeling it all. Can you imagine... I mean, if Christ had taken the anesthesia that they offered him on the cross, they offered it to him on the sponge, take this, this will dull the pain a little bit. They said, no, 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 don't, don't give that to him. And he refused it. He's going to feel every bit of this. We're called to that. And so Paul's just making an, an example of it. Don't waste your time with that. We don't have time for that dissipation. That's a, that's a waste of time. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another. I mean, if you want to be crazy, <laughs> I've gone the crazy route with the wine and so on. And you do stand out and you do make a fool and you do make a spectacle of yourself. If that's what you're into, he says, do that in the Spirit. Go to a party and 
Start talking about the Lord and telling people about Jesus and the things that they'll think you're a kook. A lot of them will. Mission accomplished, you know. Talk to them about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And give thanks always for all things. Now, there is another passage that's similar to that that tells us to give thanks in all things, but not for all things. This one says, for all things. I give thanks to God for all the things. I remember my mom, um, she had gone through a year of a lot of loss, you know, and I remember her, the one statement, I remember that, I, I remember the moment, everything, she said, I'm just so tired of grieving, you know, so much. And we talked a little bit about that. And I think my dad did more talking than I did, but um, there, there's a time to even give thanks for that, what you're going through. Not just to get through it, not just to squeak by, you know, survive it, but to feel it all. Can you imagine the loss that God has felt? The loss of all the people he wanted to save. For God so loved the world, and very few found the way home to be with him through faith. The loss he's experiencing is unbelievable. It's unimaginable. The amount of loss that we feel is small compared. It feels big for us. But you partake in the sufferings of Christ when you partake in that loss. So give thanks always for all things. That's the first step into that healing process, into that understanding, letting the events of your life help you to grow, to become more. Why is, why is this trial happening? Why am I going through this? Well, the first thing I'm going to do, I don't feel like doing this, but God's Word tells me to do this, is I'm going to give thanks for all things. Because whatever this is in my life, it's a tool used in my beautiful Father's hands to make me into the vessel He wants to make me into. I'm all for that. To give thanks is the first step for all things. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. God calls us to this beautiful walk. Marriage. Ready? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, I am not like Christ to my wife. I try to be, but not all the time. A lot of the time I am, aren't I? Maybe. But she still treats me the way God calls her to treat me. Always. And when she does that, that makes my next section in verse 25 a lot easier to do my part. She does her part. But she does her part regardless of whether I'm doing my part. And I believe when we see people try to qualify this section of Scripture, well, yeah, but, you know, and, you know, don't forget that it says right before that in 21, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord, as if that nullifies 22. It doesn't. 
It doesn't. There's a special role, a special calling upon women with their own husbands, not everybody else's husbands, but your own husbands, to submit to them like the church submits to Christ. And I believe as this teaching fades in the church, we see the church submitting to Christ like they teach or don't teach wives submitting to their own husbands. I see fewer and fewer churches submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ in their fellowships, submitting to his word, submitting to it. And it's funny as you don't submit to Christ in this section of scripture, Jesus is the word of God. Then that means you begin as a church to act just like you've taught. Wives don't need to submit to husbands. Churches don't need to submit to Christ. And they begin to just run their own show. And they become estranged from Christ over time, just like a wife becomes estranged from her husband over time. It happens. So as hard as that is, and as archaic as this may sound in today's day, it's absolutely true. It's two plus two equals four. And although churches and the world may teach us that this is two plus three equals four, it's not true. This isn't an option. This is what we're called to do. Wives are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. All right, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, before we get into that analogy, that picture, that metaphor that he's showing us, husbands, you need to love your wives. And that love is the love that we spoke of earlier in this chapter. It's a sacrificial love. What does your wife need? Do you know what your wife needs? That's what you need to supply to her. Now, there may be times when she thinks she needs something other than what she really needs. That's up to you to pray about and be led by the Spirit. But to give her that, you give her what Christ gives the church. What does Christ give the church? A solid Savior. Someone they can rely on, someone they can trust in, someone they believe, someone they know that only has their best interests at heart. As husbands, that's what we're called to do. Make verse 22 and 23 and 24 easy for your wives by doing 25, 26, 27, 28, and so on. Well, she's not very Christ-like, or she's not very church-like. That doesn't matter. Jesus has got a lot of people he's trying to 
be head over that will refuse him as Lord of their lives. And yet he still is. And he acts accordingly and he serves them and he washes their feet and he died on the cross for their sins as well. He has a sacrificial love for the world, but only a few respond. And so husbands, our excuse should never be, my wife doesn't respond to that. So what's your option then? That's my question for those things in counseling. What's your option? You tried it and it didn't work. There is no other way. There's no other way for us as men to act. We have to act this way. It doesn't make any difference whether our wife... Here's what I find. I tried that. She didn't respond. And so now I'm going to do this because saving the marriage is more important than me being the godly husband God called me to be. We need to switch that mindset. I am called to be a godly husband. If she doesn't like that, I can't do anything about that. That doesn't change who I am. I don't become what she wants me to be because saving the marriage isn't the goal. It never has been. As a husband and wife, our goal is to be who God made us to be. They need to appreciate it and love it like we love it, but that doesn't change who I'm going to be. Saving the marriage isn't the point. Being who God called us to be is. Being a godly husband like Christ, you may get crucified in your own home. So be it. Don't change. Be like Christ. You may love your wife or love your husband like like the church loves Jesus, and he doesn't respond. He doesn't act like Christ afterwards. Maybe I should try something else. No. You're called to that sacrificial love. You may get crucified in your own home also. But your Father in heaven is pleased as you're doing what He told you to do, what He called you to do. That's the goal. My goal is to be the pastor God calls me to be, to be the dad that God calls me to be, to be the husband God calls me to be. And I don't always succeed, but that is my goal and that's my call. I'm not here to become what they think they need. I've been told by God's word what they need. They may not accept it, but that's what I'm called to do and to be. So are you. It makes it really easy in the sense of clarity-wise. It's not easy, but it makes it clear. I don't know how to fix my marriage. You just need to be like Jesus. That's what you do. They don't like that when I'm like Jesus. You need to be like Jesus more than even are called to that. He talks about washing with the word, and I've taught this in different ways, but Jenny and I have never been people to sit around and have her sit there, you know, me read God's word to Jenny, you know. Thus saith the Lord. I, some people do that. I'm, I'm glad. It would be really uncomfortable for us. I don't know why. Because we're both in the word, we're both... I mean, I don't think either of us stop thinking about Jesus ever. We just do. We walk in this life. And so there are moments where we'll have conversations about the Lord or something that God spoke. It's, you know, it happens. And those are just wonderful times. And and honestly, she's right here right now. So she's getting washed with the word by her husband. So, I mean, we kind of have it made in the shade here, so to speak, you know. But to wash her with the word is, it's not for me to remind her, you know, I'm sorry, you just get picked on. I don't mean to, but, you know, you, you need to love me like, like the church loves Jesus. And here I am. So love me, you know, that's not washing her, you know, washing her is gentle. It's, it's intimate. It's, 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 it's soft. It's, it's tender. It's, it's, it's meant to 
It's not meant to get her clean. You know? You know, I, I have this picture of the, of the metal wash tub back in the 30s, you know, and the scrub brush and the poor little kid and the scrubbing behind the ears. And a lot of guys hear this verse and they think, I'm going to wash my wife with the Word of God, you know. No, no, no. That's a, no. Cold water, she don't need hot, you know. No, wash her like you'd wash in that setting. Very personal, very gentle, very careful, you know, very loving. Like Christ does for us. He's very careful with us. He's not, he's not trying to ruin us. He's trying to build us up. He does that. Anyway, if you do that, it's going to be health to your body. It's health to your bones to, as men, love your wives like Christ loved the church. It's going to, it's going to nourish if she is your body, you're truly one flesh. You're not partners, you're not roommates, you're one flesh. If she's hurting, you should be hurting, is the idea. But he does say that here. That's the part I wanted to end with tonight. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. It's almost as if he's shocked at what he's teaching them, because this is a group, the Ephesians, they don't know what Christian marriage is supposed to look like. They know what worldly marriage looks like, and most of us know what worldly marriage is supposed to look like. And this Christian marriage thing, it's a little different than what the world's telling us, you know. Even the soap commercials are telling us to, you know, set ourselves free from the bondage of, you know, whatever. Dawn dish soap and all these things. Freedom, you know, it's amazing what they'll use to sell a product, you know. Women, you can be free. Buy our soap kind of thing. No. I do need to be free. I need Dawn. No. I mean, you know, and guys, we had the same thing. It's time for us to go fishing. You know. Okay. But not if your wife's hurting. No, you got other things to do. More important things to do. Better things to do. It's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He concludes on that strong note. Everything I've said with a lot of words is summed up in these two sentences. Never, well, one, but... It's a run-on. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. So love her like, you know, what, what's your favorite hobby? Well, I love doing this. What's her favorite hobby? Then that's your new hobby. Go do that. You know. And likewise, see that the wife respects her husband. He's not respectable. Doesn't matter. Still need to respect him. Respect him. See, when these things are happening in the marriage, when the wife is making an effort and the husband is making an effort to do what God's word says, it may take a while, but you're, you're building yourself up as a marriage. Oh, he just loves me so much today. I sure respect him for that. She respects me. I love him. I love her all the more. And respect and love and respect and love. And your marriage just takes off. You, you stop doing those things. Well, he doesn't respect me, or she doesn't respect me, and that causes me to withdraw. 
I don't think he loves me. He seems distant and far away. I sure don't respect him for that. And that's the decline. There is no other way to have a good marriage, a great marriage, a godly marriage than this right here. There isn't. There's no plan B. There's no other option. There's nothing else to try. This is it. In one chapter, we've solved the problem. And the only people I can work with are the people that are sitting here tonight. My, my husband's not here. My wife's not here. You do what you're called to do and let God take care of the rest. Let's pray. Close. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's clear. It's, uh, it's corrective. It's encouraging. Um, it's refreshing to hear the truth. We, we love it. God, help us to do the things that you've maybe spoken to our hearts tonight. You've shown something, a, a, a character trait or flaw or whatever that needs to be different when we leave tonight. Help us to be different, to begin that, whatever you called us to change, that we'd apply it tonight, not just be hearers and agree, but actually begin to do these things noticeably. We don't need to be subtle about it. I, Lord, I pray for radical transformation in our marriages if it has to take place. I pray for um, amazing changes in our light and dark abilities that we would be brighter than we've ever been before. That we wouldn't pull any punches, that we go overboard for once towards you. And we continue, Lord. Thank you for this chapter. Thank you for um, teaching us tonight. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.